Buck Benny speaking. I'm joined with my friend uh, Bob the Impaler and Jim. And uh, oh my goodness! And and we've got crazy backgrounds going on <laughs> left and right. It's uh, it's all good. Uh, anyway, the, uh, we are on Picard. That you'd never know by everybody's backgrounds. Um, and uh, we're discussing episode eight of Picard. This episode is more of I generally describe it as a character like building episode where we get to know more about the characters and get deeper into all the characters. I don't think I've seen an episode that is this much time spent on character. I enjoyed it. I love getting into the characters and that all works for me. Um, but it's interesting that the week before was a character driven episode as well with Picard and, and Riker and Troy and um, Soji and their, and, and their uh, Riker and, uh, Troy's daughter and stuff and and that whole piece. Uh, this episode, though, um, early on, it it has um, we're we're dealing with a, a group of help me out, guys. Is it a group of Vulcans? A group of Romulans uh, that are kind of the witches that are. I mean, they look like a bunch of witches surrounding a, a, a whole. Somebody explain that scene to me. Romulans. The Romulans. Romulans. Thank you. And what's happening there? They're they're around this thing that's going to maybe drive them crazy, uh, and some of them won't be driven crazy. So I guess what it looks like they do is they get enough people that chances are one of them won't go completely crazy, and and they'll hopefully find someone to to carry on their mission or whatever it is, and they sacrifice the rest of them to craziness. Am I kind of in the ballpark? Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think what it what it happened there was the you had the the Starfleet head of Starfleet she was there kind of leading everybody else through that so it was it was like she had already been through it before and already had had seen the visions and maybe she was the lone survivor or the survivor of her group and so then they bring this other group and the the, the seeing the destruction and everything that happened is so horrific that it drives people nuts. Some people's minds can take it, but most people can't even take it. And so right. they're doing that so that, you know, they know what's, what's at stake and, and what, you know, they, how much they need to do to be able to prevent something like that. From happening. And it was from 14 years prior is what it says. So we're seeing the past and it's explaining uh, a little bit about the, like you say, the head of Starfleet and where her character is coming from. And then it introduces uh, or shows us another character that that survives this thing. I, I thought it was kind of interesting when people went crazy. One of them shoots themselves in the head with a phaser and kills himself. Another one starts smashing her face with a rock. It, it's just a, an interesting scene overall. Um, and it, kind of an interesting well, start the episode. But go ahead, Jim. Yeah, and, and if you look at it, right, so it was... So that particular scene was 14 years earlier, but they had said that they had created this organization hundreds of years 
before. Prior, yeah. Right. So so it's it's almost like you know there have been multiple groups of people over you know centuries that have come out here and and gone through this. Right. Uh, because because that that group had been around for a long long time. So this was just kind of like one of the last generations of it. Um, that, that we saw, but it happens many, many times in the past. Correct. And that's what it felt well, like when they were doing it. It felt like this was a ritual they'd, they'd worked out over years. It wasn't like this is the first time this has happened where they all pull up their hoods. It's, there's definitely a, a ritual feel to it uh, of what they do um, and where they're all doing a, essentially where they're all feeling like it's a noble sacrifice. It's a privilege to do this or something is what the impression was even though they know most of them are going to die or go crazy or whatever, but they're all hoping they will be the one or there'll be a couple ones that, that make it through this. Um, and, and then once they do that, but go ahead, Bob, it's something to add to that. Go ahead. No, you that. noticed one of the characters that was in the line was Rizzo, not to be, not to be confused with Rafi was the, was Narek's sister, the one that's really nasty. Okay. She was one of the ones in the circle. So she's getting the, in, in, into like hating the the aliens or the, yeah. I mean the the AI AI bots okay. and the other one was the lady that was in the room when um when Soji comes in and, and there's a group of Romulans that were Borgs mm-hmm. and she freaks out that she was one of the other ones in that circle and she goes nuts yeah so those those two were in that circle so that's that's how it ties in See, and this is why I have you guys here, because I start getting confused by all this going on and tying everything together. So there you go. Uh, and then someone explained to me, too, then we have the redheaded lady who we see here go kind of crazy, but not as crazy as some of the other ones what it seemed like. And then we see her later, like in a comatose state. But it sounds like it's explaining the cube. We got this weird cube that that has that we've been seeing all season that has the the Borg uh, that they're trying to deborgify and and things. And it sounds like her cube. I mean, she was taken over by the cube, and somehow her mind, because it was messed up, screwed up the the Borg, and maybe made the that cube. Uh, be disconnected from exactly. a hive or something yeah. is that kind of the what happened so they're just saying because yeah, she went to the ritual that it, that it screwed up the borg or when they tried to attach to her mind or assimilate her or something um jim clarify that for me <laughs> yeah i think that's 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 how i saw it too that her her mind was so disturbed and broken that that it infected the rest of the board there and, the, and then the board collective had to disconnect that cube that, that cube and just kind of cut it off because it you know was going to infect the rest of the of right. the, uh, the board yeah so so big episode lots of revelations in this episode explaining a lot of things that have happened in the past and where the characters are at and everything um, I thought that's that's interesting for sure um, my favorite scene was probably the one with uh, what's the name of our fighter guy with the samurai sword? George. It's not George. I'm looking it up because I can't remember either. George. Jordy. 
Wesley. Elnor. El- Elnor. Elnor. Okay. So the scene with Elnor, where uh, they're attacking, the first thing they do, I think, is blind him. And then so he's fighting blinded against all these guys and not doing too badly for himself, but still getting halfway beat up. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of them start to get shot and things. And <laughs> Seven shows up, and it's Seven that saved him. And so then he goes and gives Seven a big hug. And She's like awkwardly going, uh, okay, okay, it's all right, or whatever, and uh, or it's good to see you too. Um, I, I really, really love Seven's character in this series. Did not like Seven in the old cat suit and the whole thing in Voyager, but really enjoy her in this series. And uh, this was a great episode for her. She, uh, the, she and Elnor later on in the episode discuss um, the. That she maybe she should take over the the Borg to have them help them or whatever, and she's like, well, if I do that, I may not be able to. One, they might not want to disattach uh, and not be the collective anymore. Two, even if I have the power to do that, I may not want to do that. I may get sucked into this whole thing essentially and be stuck. Um, and but eventually in the episode, she it gets to the point where she thinks that's the only thing that she can do. So she essentially becomes the queen for the Borg, as far as I can tell, for this group of Borg, and lets herself be uh, uh, attached uh, through her spinal column and everything into it, which, of course, brings back the whole, um, what was that, first contact Borg queen when we meet her that it's a similar thing I thought that was a great callback and uh, a fun thing and you, you see her eyes change to be look like they're more uh, the Borg eyes and everything uh, anyway what did that part of anything I've talked about there strike you guys is interesting or whatever but go ahead she seemed to like like the power yeah which I think that's what she was afraid of she seems to not want to detach yes from it what she's attached, which was interesting. Right. Well, I'm surprised they didn't like rip her head and spine out of her body like they did the board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a modified <laughs> version. <laughs> head and shoulder and spine or whatever she had. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And, uh, and then, so she had that, then she had power over the board on the ship. But then the bad guys just blew out the Borg out of the ship and into space, essentially, it looked like. So by the end, did she have, was she still the, the I can't remember, was she still the queen, but in charge of no Borg because all her Borg are blown out of the ship? Or was there some Borg left? Uh, there, there were still some left because they, they a- after they blew them out, then they started the ones that were still there, they started attacking the Romulans and then the okay. Romulans left. So, yeah, so there was, there were still, mo- most of them I think were probably blown out into space, but, but there were still some left. Okay. And at the end of the episode, was she still the board queen? I thought she was, thought she was detached at the end of the episode. It's been like three weeks since I watched it. Yeah, she, de- she detached. Okay. Uh, El- Elmer, when she's all hooked up and the, Romulus been kicked off, and Elner looks at her, and says, "You gonna simulate me now, or something like that?" Uh, okay. Then she then she detaches. 
I think she didn't want, that's the scene where I thought, oh, she doesn't want to be attached. She's like getting it. She's really enjoying the power. Right. And she was playing it that way. And, uh, but it showed, um, maybe with everything she's been through, she was able to reach into her humanity and pull out of that. I don't know, but, um, like I say, makes her an interesting character. And then, uh, and, and speaking of her showing up on this episode, uh, Bob has done some research and realized that Neelix is going to show up as a major character, uh, next season. Uh, he was texting me this week and I was in panic mode because I'm like, Neelix, that's like the worst <laughs> character you could bring over from Voyager. And then he tells me, Oh, I was just uh, kidding. I made that up. So I was like, great. <laughs> Great. I, I kind of like Neelix. Did, Neelix was, you liked him, huh? Well, he was okay. He's fine as a background character or whatever. I mean, if he came on and he cooked for them, fine. I could live with that, whatever. But Or, 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 or what was his name? Flocks uh, or whatever from the Enterprise series. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I like both those characters. Yeah. It's fine to have those kind of characters as long as they stay in their lane and don't become the major driving force on a show or anything. But yeah, yeah, they could have some poses like you know Charlie's Angels, it could be Flocks and Neelix and Seven all you know standing there ready to take on <laughs> the battle. Doo-loo-loo. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that'd be great. <laughs> well, I, and, and, and this episode, I mean, there was a whole lot basically. It, Basically, this episode told us what really the whole rest of the series has been about. You yes. Know? So why why all this stuff was happening? You know, you know the different groups and why they're doing what they're doing and, and that kind of thing. So this was one where you know it finally came together and and now it, you, you understand a lot into this episode between that. So it's it's laying the groundwork for the future episodes. It's explaining the past. And it serves as a huge character piece that that gets us into all the different characters. I mean, they really fleshed out a lot of the the Rios stuff with these various. We see the um, emergency engineering one, who sounds like Scotty essentially, but even uh, has a stronger accent. <laughs> and and then we uh, we see his. What was the deal with his? It was a psych psychological one, wasn't it? That was talking to uh, Rafi, and and it had it looked like they were playing up the fact that this version of him was a close talker, and so he'd lean into her and keep on trying to lean into her more and more, and she'd be backing up because she didn't want to be that close to him. And I thought that was a humorous physical piece that doesn't come across in the dialogue at all but it's obvious that that's what's happening <laughs> and she didn't like being around a close talker so it's like yeah. uh, but that's why I like doing these podcasts because Bob's kind of a close talker and I always have to back up and in the podcast I don't need to do that as much <laughs> uh, I, we, we, we know a person that's more of a close talker than, than Bob you yeah, <laughs> won't mention his name <laughs> yeah I, I don't like to mention sean on the podcast anymore that <laughs> anyway uh <laughs> before <laughs> just in case sean's watching it right yeah I, I don't think that's gonna happen but uh 
I would like to invite him in someday, but uh, I don't think he'll ever show up. We'll see. Maybe we covered Twilight Zone because Twilight—he loved Twilight Zone. I remember that. Uh, anyway, onward, onwards and upwards. Um, anything else in this episode we need to cover? Um, there's a lot going on, like I say. Well, we found out that there was a third, a third Soji or whatever. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. I think I don't know. If there was a couple things in it that now I'm going to say something not positive. So sorry. Um, it's okay. You can always edit out the negative stuff because I always do. So, Bob, you've spoken for hours on my podcast, but really you only featured about 20 minutes of time because I <laughs> out all the whole time I've been on. Anything you ever yeah. said negative gets cut out. But go ahead. <laughs> There's a couple things like first you got uh, Agnes like killing Bruce Maddox. Yes. Because of this vision. And then in this episode, she's like, oh, I'm mad in love with you, Soji. I would never kill you. I thought that was a little weird. Yeah. It didn't, didn't really resonate. And then the I don't know about Rio. So I'm like, okay, his captain died. Now he's going to go risk his ass, right? Right. Save Soji's, you know, family, I guess. Right. But wow, that's like, he's got more in that past than they show here or... Yeah, so you're, you're thinking that uh, some of the some of the writing is out of character for these. Uh, I'm not necessarily out of character. It's just that they don't. They probably don't have time to back it up enough. It's like there's not enough backstory to justify their new motivations. It's like the motivation happens like that. Correct. Yes, but that might just be because you got ten episodes. You don't. You can't spend four episodes building that up. Otherwise, they never get it done. Right. Well, essentially, in this episode, they're sort of doing with Rios that thing of uh, he's been shown as a guy who doesn't really care about anybody and everything is in for himself. He's sort of a Han Solo type character, whatever you want to call it. But at this point, they say they let it be known, oh, I'm starting to care about this mission and about Picard, uh, which I promised I like I'd never do after I saw my previous captain's brains blown all over the bulkhead or whatever he describes it as but it's sort of him going okay now i do care and so i'm going to do things to try and help this mission out instead of just reluctantly doing it um which lets them as writers kind of make him go into areas that the character you wouldn't think would have gone into previously it's like he's had an epiphany and after his epiphany now he's more willing to help people and stuff well and it and it the way it, it was set up with his his former captain killing himself, it was like the, the captain kills the other Soji and and the, and the other one kills them, thinking oh they're just you know they're not really alive and, and then can't can't deal with it and can't live with it and so kills himself because he's killed these other ones and so. With him coming in and, and wanting to help these people, he's helping the ones that that his his captain killed and couldn't get over and, and, and didn't like killing. So right. he's, he's kind of you know doing what his captain couldn't do by by trying to help them after his captain went the, the wrong way and realized he went the wrong way. And I, I I did have a question about Agnes. No, was it, was this the episode that they revealed that she was Agatha Harkness or the next one. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. I think that might be the next one. I, don't remember yeah, I think the future episode. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I remember they did. Spoilers. <laughs> they sang a, a jingle, you know, what would Agatha do or whatever. Yeah. I, yeah, it's true. At, at the beginning of this episode where they had them all, uh, the Romulans all in the circle with their hoods up and everything, I kind of expected, yeah, Ag- Agatha Harkness to show up there or something, materialize. Because uh, wasn't there was a, a scene that was very reminiscent of that, right? In the, yeah, where they were going to burn her at the stake or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that whole stake burning thing was a very similar scene. So I thought it was, yeah, look at that. Tie all ties together, even though it's not supposed to. So, <laughs> through across multiple series of multiple universes of different things, it's the multiverse. Yes, yes, and it's probably well, because of what Loki does. Loki exactly caused all this to happen. Well, we've tied in uh, Loki to uh, yeah. Jurassic Park earlier, and now we can tie in the Marvel universe to the Star Trek universe. Pretty good. So. I could have sworn now we're going back to Loki, so it's off. That Agnetha was in that scene when they're they're doing like the medieval flashback in the eighties. It must have been like a convention where it was dressed up. Wasn't she in that scene in 1985? Could have been. Uh, or she an talked- actress that you know was supposed to look like her was in the scene. I doubt I they were sworn it was her. She's like, you guys are not dressed right because they're the TVA comes in when they're suits. Right. I could have sworn that was her. It uh, probably was. I was. I'll have to look at that again and see. But uh, and is that in the first episode or the second one? Second. Second. Okay. So yet again, see now Bob was spoiling the second episode of Loki in the first episode of Loki, and now he's spoiling the second episode of Loki in Picard's <laughs> episode. He he refuses not to spoil the second episode of Loki. I don't know what's going on. Well, I just. For your, for your <laughs> anyway, onwards and upwards. So, <laughs> anything else about this episode? There's just a lot going on. I'm, I know we've left out a lot, and uh, just watch the episode. It's a, it's one that a, a person almost should have a notepad out and be taking notes. <laughs> oh, this is how this connects. This is how this goes through, because um, it really does. It is the episode that explains the whole rest of the series. It's kind of like in, uh, what is it? The Sixth Sense, when they go back through and they show that, that uh, spoilers for Sixth Sense, sorry, that the Bruce Willis character was dead the whole time and they go back and show the scenes he was in and you see, oh, okay, he was dead there and he, you know that's why he couldn't uh, do whatever he was supposed to do. And this, in the same way, this sort of explains it doesn't go back and show clips from the old episodes which maybe would have even been better for my little old brain to to realize how it all connects but they were explaining things that happened throughout the series in this and it sets up the the line for going forward because i think we're on episode eight uh is there did we decide last time that there's only 10 episodes or was there yeah 10 10 so there's only two left so they've got to reach a resolution here soon Okay. Anyway, uh, anything else? Are we good? Oh, and that wasn't that wasn't the actress that plays Agatha. It wasn't. I didn't think so. 
but I didn't want to embarrass Bob incredibly to say how wrong he <laughs> was. But uh, since, you, since you started the ball rolling, I'm happy to roll it over him. <laughs> He's better with his fact-checking than this. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say I thought I thought it was her. See, that's it. You thought. He thought. So I got my butt covered on this one. (laughs) (laughs) His his butt is not squished by the rock I rolled over him. So uh, that's all. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, Uh, we we good with this one? I did. So yeah, okay. And uh, like I say, I think there's just two more episodes left. and and I think Jim has said previously that he's enjoyed this more the second time going through it. I definitely far, I, I really enjoyed it the first time, which is fine, but I think I enjoyed it way more than Matt, than, than Matt. <laughs> Jim did the first time, but I've enjoyed it more. I've enjoyed it more progressively watching it through this second time. Um, it's just one of those things where there's a lot of stuff going on. And so getting a second time to process it, you can connect it together even more. At least I can connect it together even more. So, Well, you know, I'd, I'd like to just be able to sit back and Netflix and chill and watch it. Yes. Good for you. Except for it's not on Netflix. <laughs> Ooh. Mm. Yeah. It's Paramount Plus and chill, which just doesn't work as well. Yeah. yeah. And for a while it was CBS All Access and chill, but it's not that anymore. <laughs> um, Bob, uh, I don't, the, the series, um, you're, you're experiencing it fresh the first time. Uh, you are, you still enjoy, it sounds like you've been enjoying it more than discovery. Any of the seasons of discovery you've watched. Um, is that still the case? Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing the next two. Okay, good. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this series and, uh, I'm going to watch it the second time. So I'm going to enjoy it some more. <laughs> you gotta wait like a year in between to get it uh, that perspective yeah just anyway, yeah. Right. before they let season two out so yeah 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 well and i think that's great because uh season two i mean it sure sounds like it's just on the near horizon like it was all filmed and everything it might be the next series they release could be two I don't know. It's going to be so interesting with Star these Star Treks to, because as far as I know, it sure sounds like they've essentially got maybe Picard in the can, all done. Uh, Strange New Worlds, I think, is still filming, but it's almost done with filming. I think there's just I, I would have thought with with COVID and stuff in 2020 that all of the you know that the, the stuff that they came out recently, you know, they could have filmed you know, in 2019, and, and then so it's ready to go, at, you know, they, in 2020 and, and stuff like that. But, you know, basically 2020, they really couldn't film much of anything. So I would think that that would affect this 2021, you know, not having a lot of stuff to be able to put out. Yeah, you, you would think, so. I would think the same thing. But essentially what it looks like it made were in 2020, and the beginning of 2021 because um, they haven't released anything since the fall essentially right so so it's been a longer gap than they usually have i mean it's 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 gonna have been like nine months between the, the last series what's the last thing they released was it it was a uh, discovery season three three right 
and that was released, like I say, I think in the fall. And so then it's going to be, well, I guess pretty much a year because I think it's we're probably not going to see anything until the fall. But then I think we're going to see lots this year. I think we're going to see Lower Decks. I think we're going to see Strange New Worlds. I think we're going to see the next season of Picard. I think we're going to see Discovery. I think all that's probably going to happen uh, next year. So my guess would be the entire year is going to be pretty much full of shows. Um, I just don't think they ever expected or wanted to have a, a year gap, but they essentially are. They're just having it sooner than I thought it would be. I thought like Jim, that they would have been able to fill up most of 2020 and 2021 and 2022 is where you'd see this huge gap. But I guess it wasn't that interesting anyway. Uh, all right, everybody enjoy uh, this episode of Picard when you get a chance to watch it, uh, Picard episode eight, and we'll be in Picard episode nine next time. So see you later. Thanks. Hey nerds, I'm Will Wheaton and this is The Ready Room, your official behind the scenes hub for all things Star Trek universe. This week, The Ready Room has been assimilated. Jerry Ryan and Jonathan Del Arco are here to talk about the latest episode of Star Trek Picard, Broken Pieces. And speaking of breakdowns, I do not want you to have one because we spoiled this week's episode for you. So if you have not watched episode eight, Broken Pieces, Look, you guys, the truth is, I don't care. If you're not listening to me by now, eight weeks in a row of me telling you to go watch the episode before you watch The Ready Room, you're never gonna listen to me. So just don't complain at me if you haven't yet. All right, we will also be showing you an exclusive clip from next week's episode, but first, let's recap. One rogue mission, two daughters, three dimensional advertisements, transport up to 40,000 light years, five Rioses, a six-sided artifact, and the eight-fold crown. What am I missing? Seven of nine. And she came back with a vengeance this week as she took up the mantle of Borg Queen that was so cool. Let's take a closer look at what went into bringing that to life. Control room. Engage. You always want your characters to face their biggest fear. And for anybody who's been assimilated by the Borg and who's returned to their humanity, going back to that state is the scariest thing you can imagine. Seven and Elnor are trapped on the cube and the Romulans have decided to start executing all the ex-Borg. And there's only one way to stop that from happening, which is to activate all the ex-Borg as one and return them to the Collective, because the Collective is the only thing that can stand up to the Romulans. Through Seven's journey with our team, she realizes, I've been on my own for so long, and now I actually feel like I'm part of this family, and if my whole existence since you've last seen my character was to help those who can't help themselves to fight the fight no one's fighting, what better way to do that than to be able to kind of take over the Borg and help everyone rise against those who are going against her new family. So Seven does the thing that scares her the most and makes the ultimate sacrifice, which is she goes into the queen cell and allows herself to become the queen to basically form an army. The temptation is there and the threat is there that maybe she won't want to stop and won't want to separate herself and the rest of them when they've done what they need to do. As the characters describe it, there's one very brief moment of euphoria in the instant that you're assimilated and then from then on you lose your humanity and you're, you're kind of in a state of disconnect. There's fear, there's maybe temptation, but it's interesting. It's fun to play. We are Borg! And by forming an army they're able to defeat the Romulans that are there and Seven and Elnor escape. 
They are gone. It is over. The cube is ours again. Today, I am joined by Jerry Ryan and Jonathan Del Arco, two of the three most famous Borgs to ever <laughs> grace the Star Trek screen. Um, I love that you guys are here. Thank you for coming back. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Um, uh, you, like me, are a Star Trek fan. Mm -hmm. And let's go back in time a little bit. Oh my God. This is the night before you're gonna go to set. Okay. You're getting ready to go put this character back on and be this character for the first time mm -hmm. in 20-ish yep. years. I just want to know, <laughs> what, what's it like? It what was, do you do? It was super terrifying because you Thank don't- Thank you. It yes, was, it was. It really was. And I, <laughs> I, I heard you talking about how we worked it out, you know, helped each other out. I had some idea of what I was going to do with the character. Yeah. I hadn't locked anything in. Yes. Um, I knew the wardrobe was going to really help me with the physicality. Yeah. Um, and I just relied heavily on research I'd done on things to connect me emotionally to the, to the story. Yes. Because there's a lot going on in the show that, that is contemporary. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, wing and a prayer. I, I'm not, I'm not going to super rehearse it. I'm just going to like see what happens on set. And it clicked when I got on stage. You know, it just kind of happened. I came prepared, I knew my lines, and I knew my, you know, exactly where I was coming from emotionally. And the rest, as you know, is a total gamble, because, I mean, things can get edited in or yeah. out, or yeah. messed up, or you get a direction on set that you don't really agree with that didn't happen, luckily. Um, but there were definite things that they were wanting for me that I couldn't really understand until way later. I was like, oh, that's what you meant. You know, like, oh, how like, interesting. They were like, he's broken. I was like, well, how do you play broken? Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, oh, I get it now, the, the scar. And I get yeah. he's broken inside. And it sort of made sense later, but you know, we're all trying to figure it out. It's a new show and it's like tone and like with the story, we didn't know the arc of the characters at all, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we're like, we're playing something kind of into a void in a weird way because we didn't really know where we were going with our characters. So. In, in, uh, in the episode that was released today, uh, you spend a ton of time inside the Borg cube and at one moment, you actually get attached seven is in the queen. queen chamber and becomes the queen. Mm -hmm. Now, I am watching this weeks before it airs, and I am seeing an edit that does not have any <laughs> graphics. That just has a look. That just look like on the bottom. Idiot, no, but he, but but here's the thing. You're like a mime. <laughs> right? Yeah. Could reactivate, reconnect the transceivers. Create a kind of micro collective, just the Borg on this cube. But right. this yeah. is the thing that was so impressive to me is with both of you guys, whenever you are interacting with the special effects mm -hmm. uh, on the board cube, it feels like it's actually oh, there. You. It feels very tactile, it feels specific, it feels very real. Um, filmmaking is so different now oh from, my God. from when it was ah. when we were doing Star Trek yeah. so, so long ago. 100%. So you I have mean, to try- First field acting, which was bad enough. Yeah, uh. sure, of course. Right. But <laughs> yeah. that was kind of the only like super, super yeah. horrible, embarrassing thing that you had to do without the special effect written out. So you really have to trust mm -hmm. your director you do. and your other actors. Totally. Um, so uh, I love, Jerry told me how you helped her find where Seven is oh, come right on. now. Helped me, saved Oh, come on, she had house. it. That, the, the thing is, she, you already had it. You just needed some distraction panicked. to get you to do it. 
She's like, I can't so be done. It can't be done. Panic. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, it was fun working on that. I love directing too. So it was. He's a wonderful It was director, super fun to like be like, no, 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 you have this. It's yeah. much easier than you think. She is you. I mean, you played her, um, and yeah, it was really fun helping her out. Um, uh, and I got a free meal out of it. <laughs> you're an actor and an unemployed right, actor sure. now. Yeah. Uh, you know, a free meal. You're not going to say no. Listen, join Equity and get those pair of shoes over That's here, right. right? <laughs> uh, uh, your friendship comes through whenever you're in the same place. Like, you walk Ooh. into a room together and the room lights up. Uh, the two of you together. Love. I, I, ain't I, love I, grand. I, I, I understand. My staff tells me you were there when Jonathan had his prosthetics oh. put on for the first oh, time. Oh, God. Okay, My you guys may hour. not know share how, that, that how prosthetics are made. You have to do something called a life cast. Oh, God. And it is a plaster cast of your head. I panic just thinking about it. Like, just yeah, thinking about very it. Very claustrophobic. Like, well, like, and yeah. he's claustrophobic. Yeah, I'm not I'm claustrophobic, claustrophobic, but even for me, that's like, okay, we need to get this off. Yeah. But so he was really freaking out about how do I do that? Because he had to do it because yeah, it's new prosthetics yeah. and you, yeah. you've got to have the scars and all of that. And so I said, okay, come over to my house. I'll drive you. I'll take you. I'll stay with you. And I took him. That's so and, sweet. Um, oh, and then you had to go to the um, like the 3D body scan thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things. But by then that was like, woo, I'm in my underwear. <laughs> you know, so I didn't really care. Oh, that's cool. You yeah. got to do a full. He did. Oh, yes. I didn't do that. He I got to do that. amazing. It was so cool. And I'm trying to think why. I guess the costume. I don't know. Maybe that. Breastplate needed it. I have no idea. It was awesome. They were just. It was cool. That means that theoretically, a perfect action figure of you could exist. There's that right. too. Because you have exactly perfect. That's kind of creepy. Could and probably will. <laughs> Let us talk about um, one of the big sad things, which is that Hugh has left us. No. Yes. But he gets such a great. Death scene. That's the way they pitched oh. it to me. <laughs> it was like, great. Well, I mean, I they, death scene. I mean great. <laughs> they weren't wrong. No, they're great. It's a I, very powerful scene. Oh, this is for a lost cause. I was that much of, of a hopeful fool again for a minute. Thanks for that. Yeah, it was a real uh, intense lead up to that because I, I found out about it early enough where I knew... You could prepare for it. Yeah, I found out early enough and, and sort of like I had an idea that that was going to happen at that, you know, when I read it, I, I was like, how am I going to handle work leading yeah. up to that? Because it was emotional for me. Yeah, because you know? it's a loss. This is a character it's who a matters loss. to you. Yeah. yeah, I spent 25 years talking about this character, yeah. lots of people talking back to me about him. and based on the death of a loved one when I first played him. And mm -hmm. so it was very personally emotional. Uh, but as an actor, it actually really liberated me because when you know you're, when you're on a, on a new show, you're just trying to do your best work. You know, you're yeah, like, you're, you're not, maybe not risking as much. Knowing I was going to die, I got super like bold with my choices mm -hmm. and it was really fun. What did you, both of you guys, you're, so you're coming into a new show mm -hmm. with a new crew and new showrunners, but you're playing characters you know better than the people that, yeah. right. that wrote them. <laughs> you have to find a balance between bringing decades of experience, also yeah. accepting that these characters are gonna, be, yeah. are, are gonna be uh, colored and shaped by mm -hmm. this new world. Yeah. What went into your preparation? How did you strike a balance between what you and we know mm -hmm. and what is brand new? They, that's a really good that's question. a great question. They gave they gave us a lot of leeway. You're, you're very good at this. They gave us a lot of leeway because yeah, they knew they we knew the characters, but but also to some degree, 
I wanted them to tell me where he was at now. But yeah, because I was like, we didn't, I, I can't no, play him that way. We knew a little bit of backstory, yeah. but yeah. we didn't know all the backstory, and we didn't know. Well, yeah, I mean, the tone it was, of the show yeah. and what we. Yeah, it was so, all um, new when we got these yeah. scripts. Yeah, no, we, we we made up a lot, right? Yeah, I had to. Yeah, but know? that's the fun part of being an actor, of course, right? Because you make up a whole like getting to make things up. Yeah, and they're like, yes, you made that up, and now it's canon. Now yes. That thing you did is now a part of the Borg yes, forever. forever. Yeah, yeah, nerds are going to study that for yeah, the yeah, rest yeah. of your life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was all a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's true. When Seven attaches herself and becomes the Borg queen, I freaked out. Now, I'm watching with my wife, who's not a Star Trek fan, so she doesn't know. She hasn't seen any of the movies. She has no idea. She's like, oh, I know Jerry. That's my friend Jerry. And I was so I'm trying to explain the significance yeah. Of of seven attaching, yeah. becoming the Borg Queen. What is going through her head as that moment is coming up? Because she says, I don't know if I'm gonna want to come yeah. back. This could be bad news. Mm -hmm. Assimilate them. Invade their minds. Suppress their identities. Enslave them. Again. You can release them when we win. They won't want to be released, and I'm I might not want to release them. What's going through her head as she is getting ready to make that choice and, and get involved in, in, in that uh, change? Well, exactly what you said. I mean, this was, it was utter dread because she's, she had been part of the collective before. She knows that if she has to reassimilate all of these severed Borg, they're not gonna wanna be separated again from the collective. Um, and she was really fearful that that's how she would be again. And that, um, and she, I think, feels so protective of um, Evan's character, Elnor, yeah. who is her sort of young protege. And I think yeah. she's, he's sort of a, I think she kind of views him as a surrogate son since she lost Ichab and she, yeah. I think she sees him in, in, in Elnor a little bit, the innocence. And so Elnor is with her in that scene and it was, pure desperation. She had no other choice to save the rest of what was left on that ship. Um, and so that was her only option. When, uh, when I encountered the Borg, uh, on, back on the, on the Enterprise in the old days. I remember that. <laughs> uh, the Borg were just terrifying. They were just sort of like mindless, terrifying villains. You will be mm -hmm. assimilated. That's, mm -hmm. that's all it is. But now we are seeing a much, much more complicated and nuanced view of, of who they are. Yeah. So when those Borg get vented into space, as an actor, did you make a choice to like feel that loss? Absolutely. Because that, that's like losing children Absolutely. for her, right? And I mean, at that point she was also, I think once they were back in, she was already connected, wasn't I? She was, already, yeah. I mean, so that's a physical, I mean, she physically felt it as well, but absolutely emotionally. That's, it's such a shared experience yeah. with all of the XBs and for the, the drones who haven't, they're separated from the collective, but they're still fully drones. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, family's, I guess, a bit of a stretch, but it really is yeah. in a way for her because she's, she feels that loss so personally because she's gone through that loss. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough one. The, um, the XBs are all tremendously sympathetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you are playing characters who are literally being hunted down for parts. Mm -hmm. The dehumanization mm -hmm. of of the the XBs 
I think kind of mirrors the dehumanization of people in our own world yes, right it now. Does. Absolutely. So you have to show us that other side of the Borg. Mm -hmm. Did that go into your character building experience as you were as you were developing sort of where he's going to be? Because yeah. I feel like Hugh was very all the way back when we saw him in I think Descent. Mm -hmm. He he was. There was that glimmer of humanity mm -hmm, in him, mm -hmm. uh, which I think leads to yeah. Seven's mm -hmm. hum humanity. Absolutely. So uh, now you have to bring that humanity and also this thing that you've been kicked around forever. Yeah. Uh, uh, would you talk a little bit about yeah, that creative I just, process? Yeah, I just use my, my real life in Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> gee, where am I going to draw from getting kicked around for 30 years? No, seriously, I use my, my real life because... Um, like I said earlier, I, I based Hugh originally on my partner that, that had died of AIDS and, yeah. and his innocence in that period of dementia. And when the role came back around and I started reading the script, I realized I could just use myself because now Hugh is more of a protector, an activist. He's trying his hardest to sort of juggle that line of protecting and, and, and still playing by the Romulan rules so that they don't get more damage happen to them. And so I was, I just associated with my own activism, mm -hmm. you know, as a man, that the things I stand up for and I speak out for, uh, that was super easy for me to superimpose that humanity and the sense of empathy that I have for, you know, people at our border, people in the Middle East that are, you know, being cast out mm -hmm. and, you know, not wanted anywhere. It's just not that hard to, you know, it's use the life, threat. you know, um, yeah. yeah. Do you think that Hugh sought that position out? I think it fell on him. I think yeah. it was one of those things that it's not what he w would have wanted to do with his, yeah. with his life, but it was where he was needed. So, and I think he's lived his life in service. I think that both of us kind of have, you know. It's an interesting, interesting thing about the Borg, like they don't, they're not in relationships, you know, they don't necessarily yeah. have children, like they're living their lives uh, to protect each other, you know. So that brings up an interesting point. How do Hugh and Seven relate to this artifact reclamation project? If they don't relate to it the way non-Borg relate to it, how do they relate to the project? I think that there was clearly some sort of relationship and some sort of contact because I had given you my calling, my friend was Ranger calling card, which Prequel. is how Elnor calls <laughs> Exactly. Prequel. <laughs> okay. um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that Seven approves of the entire project. I don't think she's on board with let's just play nice with the Romulans and let them take all the technology as long as we can try and protect these mm -hmm. people. So they've come at their mode of survival and protecting people as best they can in very different ways, I think. Mm -hmm. I, used, I researched a lot of Holocaust things because they were always in the, oh, in the camps and in the, in, in the ghettos, even uh, people of the community that were being uh, camped had representatives that sort of went to the Nazis and sort of negotiated things and mm -hmm. had to kind of play by the rules to some degree. Mm -hmm. And so it was a gray area, especially in the early scripts. I kind of wasn't sure whether Hugh was a villain or not. Mm -hmm. It was kind of unclear yeah. to me when I was reading it that what was the line he straddles because he's kind of putting up with their BS, right? And um, so, yeah, it's a gray area for him. I think um, it is the circumstance he's handed and he's going to do the best he can to survive. Mm -hmm and to get as many of the XBs to survive as well. I'm glad you bring up that parallel because I think when Star Trek is at its best yes. is when we are 
metaphor mm -hmm. yep. and when we're talking about things. And I think this particular Star Trek is real important right now Absolutely. because of that. I have time for one last question. It is for you. Okay. At the very end of the episode, I want to read this and get it right. Annika still has work to do, is what she says. She comes out, <laughs> she comes out and she says, Annika still has work to do. What is that about? <laughs> um, Can you tease it? I mean, it's, 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 I think it's a continuation of the work that, that she's been doing. Now she's, she feels responsible for this because he was gone. So it's on her to protect what's left of the XB um, and the artifact. And, um, and there's a, no, I can't, I don't know how to, t I can't tell you more than that yet. That's You'll fine. It, listen, it just, it just makes me excited. It just, to see. So excited. <laughs> it just makes me excited to see what's left in this season. Uh, Jerry Ryan, Jonathan DeLarco, thank you. Thank, thank you so you much for spending some time with me awesome. today. It was so fun. USS Ibn Majid. Federation starship on which Rio served is named after A, a philosopher, B, an astronomer, C, a navigator, D, a city. Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. Phasers, badges, alien skulls. When it comes to Star Trek, props are an essential and meticulously detailed aspect of production. And the props in Star Trek Picard are no exception. Let's take a look at some of the show's more stellar objects. Identify this painting. Item 227.67, an Oilon canvas painted by Commander Data. So this we kept in the office because it's Data's painting. Uh, it's an actual real oil painting that we have an artist named Andrea DePasso do. It was a key prop that early on we really wanted to get right which was very difficult considering we didn't have Issa cast yet. So once she was cast, we had about a week to plug her into it. This was the last Federation Starfleet badge we saw Picard with, what we call the TNG movie badge. And this is the new 2399 Federation badge. These are actually made out of metal we, uh, we wanted the chrome to actually pop, like real chrome does. A visitor badge, Picard's given when he goes back to Starfleet. Gradient badge, which is what uh, they use on the board cube to make sure they're not assimilated. And then Picard's family crest comm pin, which is how he uh, communicates with Lars and Siobhan on the chateau. Early on, it was um, necessary that the Romulans had something called Romulan tarot cards. But then later, we discovered that these tarot cards are actually a part of the Zamak game. And it's actually a three-player game, and in it, each player has five cards in their hands. And so for example, here's like an instant death card. You would play that card instantly, killing your opponent and taking his space. So once you occupy each one of these, you've won the game of Zamak. So Rios finds his old mementos. This is an old cigar box. 
The idea being that maybe these were some of Vandermeer's old things that he kept as a memento after Vandermeer died. And then inside of here, we've got some different little mementos from his journeys. Alien skull, iridescent stone. These are the pips that Rios would have acquired. We engrave the back of Rios's badge with his um, Federation Starfleet serial number and his name. So literally, these are the only physical examples of the Ibn Majid left around. USS Ibn Majid, the Federation starship on which Rio served, is named after C, a navigator. Lion of the Sea Ahmad Ibn Majid was said to have guided Portuguese explorer Vasco da Gama from Africa to India in the 15th century. Now, as promised, we have an exclusive, never-before-seen look at the penultimate episode of Star Trek Picard Season 1. You know, penultimate's just a fancy way of saying second to last. Take a look. system, fourth planet. That the one? Did we beat them? Well, long and short-range scanners show no Romulan presence. No ships of any kind. Nice work, honey. You got us here really damn fast. And I am never going to do that ever again. Thank you so much for joining us today in the Ready Room. I will be back next week to talk about Episode 9 of Star Trek Picard, the penultimate. Until then, I will leave. Live long and possible.